Good morning. Good morning. Good morning to you online as well. So glad you're here today. So um, we're in a series right now, and we've been talking over the last several weeks about our doubts and really trying to answer the question, what do we do with our doubts? Because it's not a question of if you're going to doubt, it's when. Because you are going to have moments in your life that challenge you. But they're not always moments of doubt that just simply question the existence of God. There are also moments of doubt where we question our obedience to Him, our trust in Him, our faith with Him, and and truly the courage to do exactly what we've said we're going to do as we have committed our life to following Jesus. So when I was in um, Cleburne, we had... I think just been married a few months and you know we had gone through the the stage of kind of graduating from college and getting off on our own and eating a lot of food and eating some more food and our favorite meal became chicken fried steak and um, like homemade french fries it, it was phenomenal um, Unfortunately, that'll add 30 to 40 pounds um, to you pretty quickly. And so my wife and I made a decision one day. We were having a conversation as we were eating chicken fried steak. You know, you're always doing it while you're eating the meal that you regret. And we said, hey, let's, let's start tomorrow and let's do our best to really follow a good, clean diet and lose some weight. And let's be each other's accountability partners. I mean, because we're married, right? So that's what you do. You look out for each other. And so um, the next day just happened to be a a potluck at church. And so we're sitting there eating, and we have several of our friends. And and several of our friends were a little bit older, um, in their early 40s. And we're all sitting around, and we had finished eating, and we had done a pretty good job of kind of watching our plate. And we had both had a brownie. And my wife gets up, and I wasn't really paying attention, and she goes and gets another brownie. And she comes back and sits down at the table. And I said, you don't really need that, do you? (laughs) Now, Knowing my wife had set me up for this, like, right? I mean, she set me up. I was doing what I had told her I would do. I would help her be accountable. And it did not go well. (laughs) Never did that again. She's always had to find another accountability partner. But, but there is the, the, the courage, right, to do what you say you're going to do. That took a lot of courage on my part with all these other ladies sitting around me. And we had breakfast the next morning, the next morning with all the husbands. Their wives set that up for me so I could learn from them and their wisdom. But there is the courage to go. There is the courage to do what we have committed to do. 
and as followers of Jesus, that is not always easy. In fact, more times than not, it's a difficult and scary step for us to trust and to walk into places that we don't know and we don't understand and that don't make sense to us with faith and trust in Christ that He will be at work in and through us. And in just a minute, we're going to be in the book of Judges. But before we get to Judges, just really quickly, the book before is a book called Joshua. And Joshua has just led the people of Israel into the promised land. And they are struggling with that very thing, with obedience, with trusting that God will take care of them, trusting that they are going to be used as his people in this new land that they find themselves. And so on the hills of Joshua, the book of Judges begins with their disobedience because they have not fully driven out the other people of the land like they were supposed to. And the reason they were supposed to drive them out was to avoid their moral corruption. And instead of driving them out, they move in alongside of them and start to become like them. And so Judges unfolds with this series of cycles of Judges. There is a pattern to this book. And these cycles begin with a really important phrase that Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Or again, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so the first Judges, it goes really well. Um, for the most part, they're really good judges. And then from that point on, there is kind of a downward spiral, not just of the judges, but of Israel as a whole. As Israel starts to feel the effects of, and the, really the consequences of their sins, the consequences of their actions. And it introduces in chapter 2 to kind of a cycle that unfolds here in the book of sin, oppression, repentance, deliverance, and then peace. So they're going to sin. They do evil in the eyes of the Lord. They find themselves oppressed because of it. They repent. They cry out to God. God sends a deliverer in the form of a judge to save them. And then they experience peace. But the problem is when they get to this point of experiencing peace, they fall back into the pattern. They fall back into the cycle. But it's not just this cycle that continues, it's the cycle that continually goes from, from bad to worse. Like things do not get better over time. They continually slide and continually fall. So Judges chapter 6, um, enter a man named Gideon. All right? He is the judge that God is going to use. So Judges chapter 6 verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, right? There's that sin. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. 
Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern people invaded the country. They camped on the land. They ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. So there's that cycle starting to unfold itself right there, where they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They're being oppressed because of it. And now they're going to cry out to God for help. They need a Savior. So this idea of repentance is starting. And what God is going to go on to tell them is that I have delivered you. Going back to Egypt, I have taken care of my people. And I have brought them out of the land. I have given them this new land. And I have called them to follow me. I have called them really to be my priests. To be this set-apart people that represent me to the rest of the world. And they have continually failed to do it time and time again. I have taken care of you. And you have not followed with obedience. I have taken care of you. And you have not followed. And so Gideon enters the scene. And if we were to describe Gideon, I think looking at it as a whole, we might say something like, he is fearful um, and reluctant. But I'm not so sure that that's Gideon's story. So Judges chapter 6, skipping down just a little bit to verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, and he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So how's that for a greeting? God comes to Midian. He said, the Lord is with you. And and this guy who I think we see real quickly is kind of reluctant, who's kind of fearful, um, he comes to him, and he calls him a mighty warrior. And he says that the Lord is with him. And then Gideon asks a question. And I absolutely love this question, because I think it's a question that I would ask. I think it's a question that you would ask. He says this, Pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? We're experiencing some really, really difficult times. And God comes to Gideon and says, I'm with you. And Gideon says, that's, that's great, but let me, let me ask a question. If you're with us, if you're really there, why is this happening? If you are with us, why is this happening? And he goes on to say this, where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? We've heard what God has done time and time again. But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. God, if you are with us, if you're really there, if you're really for us, then why has all this happened to us? If you're really with us, why? 
And I think we can ask this question. Why did bad things happen to Israel? And the easy answer is obviously back to the start of the chapter, right? They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so bad things happen. So a question that goes really well with this series. If they had not done evil in the eyes of the Lord, would everything have gone as planned? If they had been obedient, could bad things still have happened? If they had not been obedient, right? That's, that's the point. They weren't obedient, and now bad things happen. But what we see time and time again throughout Scripture is there are times when people are perfectly faithful to God and still bad things happen. Bad things happen because of our bad choices. Right? That's the case of Israel right here. They make bad choices and bad things happen. Bad things happen because of other people's choices. Right? And when you're talking about a nation, we're talking about communal decisions. We're talking about a group of people continuously moving. Your sins, your mistakes, affect other people. And Israel is feeling the effects of their disobedience. And it's not to say, well, if they had just done right in God's eyes, if they had done what they were supposed to, if they had been obedient, then everything would have been fine. But I do believe if you will be faithful and obedient to God, your life will be better. Does that make sense? It doesn't simply say you're not going to face hard times because of your obedience. But it does say, and I believe, your life will be better because of it. It does not mean it will be easier. It does not mean everything will fall in line. It does not mean every door is going to be open and clear to walk through, right? The easy door is not always God's door. You will still face difficult times. But the important thing I, I think is so important for us to understand, we've tried to grasp throughout this series, is your circumstances are not a reflection of how God feels about you. So many times our circumstances are the consequences of our actions. And so many times our circumstances are the consequences of other people's actions. And so your circumstances are in no way a reflection of how God feels about you. God is with you, as we just sang, God is for you. But the question then is when we go through those difficult times, 
and you will. When you face those difficult days, will you have the courage to trust and take the next step? To take the next step in faith when things don't make sense. Because that's what God is asking of Gideon. He comes to this guy who is oppressed as a nation, who is crying out for help, and he says, you are a mighty warrior, and you're going to go in strength and power. Verse um, 14, he says this. There we go. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And Gideon is going to tell him, like, We're kind of the weakest clan in all this tribe. I'm the weakest in my family. I'm not really the person you should send. No, go. I'm, I'm sending you. I'm asking you to go in faith and trust that I will take care of you. That I will care for my people. That I will be with my people. Even though it doesn't make sense. Even though you're going through all of this and you don't understand why, I will be with you. I'm going to go with you. And Gideon um, he, he says, you know, God, is it okay if you just wait here for a second? I'm going to go. He comes back and he offers a sacrifice. And he says, God, I just need you to prove to me that you are who you say you are. And he offers a sacrifice and he puts it on a rock and the angel burns up this sacrifice. And Gideon says, wow, okay, you are God. And he goes and he offers another sacrifice. And God comes to him and says, okay, Now that I know you're faithful, that you're willing to follow me, here's what I want you to do. I want you to offer another sacrifice, but before you do that, I want you to tear down the altar to Baal, and I want you to cut down the Asherah pole, and I want you to build a new altar in in its place, and I want you to build a sacrifice. Gideon goes, and he does that at night. He does it at night so that no one knows who did it. He does it at night so no one can see him. I think he does it at night because he's afraid. I don't know that he doubts. I think he's afraid. And I think so often, fear masquerades as doubt. Fear is just doubt in disguise. It's not really deep down that we're doubting if God is going to take care of us. It's just that we know and understand that God is asking us to take a really scary step and we're afraid. We're afraid of what lies on the other side. We're afraid of how God is going to take care of us. We're afraid because we don't understand what it looks like. We're we're afraid because we don't get a road map of here's what's going to happen next. We're afraid because there's so much uncertainty. My aunt and uncle um, lived in Phoenix, Arizona for a long time. And my uncle, my mom's brother, um, coached swimmers, even had an Olympian win a gold medal. And um, so we would go every summer and hang out at um, their house. And their daughter, Cheryl, um, was a collegiate swimmer, a collegiate record holder for a long time. 
And Cheryl had the privilege of teaching me to swim. My, my best event is sinking. <laughs> and so we went through swimming lessons, and, and Cheryl would teach me all of the different strokes and, and how to do them. And then came the end of the, the swimming lessons this, this week we had spent in Phoenix. And Cheryl says, okay, now you're going to go jump up on the diving board, and you're going to jump in the deep end, and I'm going to catch you. I'm going to be right there. You're going to swim out just a little bit. I'm going to be right there. And I had been through all the strokes, and I knew them all, and I stood up on the diving board. And their pool, it wasn't one of those little diving boards right here. It was a good-sized diving board. And the deep end in their pool was 12 feet deep. And so I'd jump, walk up to the ledge. And with all the courage my 22-year-old body could muster, really like five, I jumped in, and I was terrified, and everything I had learned in the past was gone, and I was in survival mode, and I was dog paddling, trying to get to Cheryl, and she's sitting here treading water in the deep end. And our, we, we have this on video. It's on a VHS cassette, so there's no way to show you here. Um, plus, I still have pride. <laughs> and I'm dog paddling, and she's sitting here treading water backwards. And as I'm dog paddling to her, she's saying, Good, Gary, good. Good, Gary, good. Good, Gary. And she keeps moving back. And I'm full-on panic, just, just trying to go. And finally, I think, I think she just realized the terror in my eyes and that I would be in counseling for the next 40 years. And she reached out and grabbed me. And, and what's so funny about that story is she was a collegiate swimmer. She knew everything. She had taught me so much. And in that moment, I could not remember the past. I could not remember everything she taught me. I couldn't remember everything I learned. All I knew was I was in a place that I was really uncomfortable, and I was afraid, and I didn't know what to do. That jump off the diving board was the hardest step of my five-year-old life. And on the other side, I'm okay. I made it. But taking that step was scary. Many times. Doubt is just simply fear in disguise. And it's not a question of if God is calling you to take the next step of faith. It's really a question of courage. Will you have the courage to trust Him to take the next step of faith? 
Am I not sending you? Am I not calling you? And so Gideon goes. And he offers the sacrifice and he tears down the altar. And he clearly sees that God is on his side. And he says, wait, 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 wait. Can I have another test? He says, I'm going to get this fleece and I'm going to put it outside. In the morning if I wake up and the fleece is wet and there's dew all around the ground, then I'm going to know. He wakes up in the morning and he wrings out the fleece and there's water in it. And you would think it's like, okay, that's good. You, you got everything you need. But Gideon says, wait, one more. I'm going to put the fleece back out and tomorrow morning, if the fleece is dry and the ground is wet, then I will know. Then I will trust. And I think we look at those stories from the sacrifice to the fleece, and we say, well, Gideon, why are you doubting? But here's the thing, and I think this is beautiful because I think this is one of those things that we need to learn from in Gideon's life. That every step of the way, whether he is afraid or whether he is being courageous, whether he is doubting and questioning, he is still putting out there to God and saying, God, I'm willing, but I need help, and I need to see you come through again. I need you to show me that I can trust you. Because I think so many times for us, we come to those moments, and instead of continually asking God and continually seeking Him and asking Him to guide our steps, we just simply disengage. And we say things like, well, if it was... God's will, He would open that door. If it was God's will, then everything would fall into place. What if God's will is not the easy way? What if God's will is not the door that's clearly swung open? What if God's will takes more courage and fortitude than the easy way? But God answers. And God once again calls him, says, Come on, Gideon. I'm here. Trust me. Let's go follow, follow, follow. And so Gideon calls the armies together as they prepare to go and battle Midian. But God says, hey, you have too many people. There's too many men to go to battle. Verse 2 of 70 says this, The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Verse 3, Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. You have too many people. Just tell them if they're afraid, they can go home. 22,000 leave. He's left with about 10,000 men, and so God says there's still too many. Verse 4, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, 
and I will thin them out for you there. And if, they, if I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So he takes him down to the water, and there's a drinking test, and only 300 men pass. God says, send the rest of them home. Gideon's left with an army of 300. And you heard the description of the Midianites. They were thick as locusts. And God says, this is all I need to do this work. And they take up torches and clay pots and trumpets, and they go surround the armies, and at nightfall they break them, and they shout, and they blow trumpets, and the armies flee. They run. Somehow, when it looks impossible, God steps up and opens the door, and God makes a way, even though it does not look like a possibility. God comes through. So there's no question, was this your strength, Israel? Gideon, was this about you? This was about trust and obedience and the power of God to save them. There is no question. And God came through. There is no question. God keeps moving forward because Gideon keeps moving forward with him. He's talking to God the whole way. He has the courage to take the next step. And because he has that courage, I want you to listen to what happens to Israel in chapter 8, verse 28. Thus Midian was subdued before the Israelites and did not raise its head again. During Gideon's lifetime, the land had peace for 40 years. And so the moral of the story, right, is for you is be like Gideon. Well, not fully. Because you remember the cycle we started with? Sin, oppression, repentance, deliverance, peace. They find that peace. But right before we see that in verse 28, I want you to listen to how 27 ends. Gideon made the gold into an ephah. He had taken all this plunder, basically, from the people that they had ravaged after he went on his own little personal vendetta, which he placed... um, Sorry. Gideon made the gold into an ephah, which he placed um, in Orpha, his town. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there, and it became a snare to Gideon. In his family. Not long after this, after this 40 years of peace is over, it says Gideon had died. And the people turned away from God. And I think the start of it was Gideon. He creates something that becomes a snare. He jumped in, and right after he jumped in, he forgot everything that he had seen. Because we can ask, right, how in the world, Gideon, after all you have been through, 
after everything you have seen, God do? How could you so quickly forget? But I think the thing, same thing can be said of us. How is it that you so quickly forget everything that I've done? It's not just the courage to take the next step. It's about having the courage to continue to take next step after next step. Maybe for some of you that next step is just simply deciding and making a decision to follow Jesus and give your life to Him. And that step takes courage. Because you're saying in that moment that I'm willing to die to myself to give my life to you. To follow you, to be obedient to you, to be filled with your spirit, to be your people in this world. Maybe that next step of faith is just simply obedience to get rid of the idols that have become a snare. For Gideon, it was this ephod. For me, the older I get, I think it becomes the idols of safety and security. Wanting to know. Wanting to have everything in order. But the same question for the person who's deciding to follow Jesus is the same question for me. Will I trust regardless of what is happening around me, regardless of my circumstances? Will I have the faith and trust in the power of Christ's Spirit at work in my life? Father, we thank you so much for this time. God, we're grateful for the ways that you bless us. We're thankful for, um, Father, your patience. As so often we're disobedient. Because we think we know better. Because we think we have the power. We have the strength. But Father, once again, may we, your people, submit our lives to you be transformed and changed by the power of Your Spirit at work within us. And may we, Your church, be Your hands and feet in this world. Father, use us. Continue to love us. Walking with us every step of the way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.